Welcome back to the Transforming Cities podcast. Each episode, we highlight the ideas around rethinking the way cities are being built. We discuss the roles of planning, design, technology, and other fields that contribute to improving the urban experience. Hey everyone, this is your host, Chris Arnold, and on this episode, we're speaking with Julian Sleeth, CEO of The Bentway in Toronto. We think, we're pretty confident, that we are the first urban-based conservancy in Canada. There are others in, in, in cities and large towns elsewhere. It's a very new model for a municipality like the city of Toronto to get their heads around. Julian brings more than 35 years of leadership and experience in the performing arts to the Bentway, where his focus is on developing and bringing this new space to life. Previously, Julian was executive director of performing arts at the Banff Centre and program manager of cultural events for the city of Toronto. He's also worked on the planning and realization of numerous cultural spaces across Canada, the UK, Russia, and Dallas, Texas. The Bentway serves as Julian's first conversion of a roadway. With that being said, let's jump right in. So Julian, thanks for joining me today. A pleasure. A pleasure to, to see you down here at the Bentway. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, it's been great getting a tour. You currently serve as a CEO of the Bentway in Toronto beautiful Toronto, but I would love to hear a little bit more about your background and where you began, how you find yourself at the Bentway today. Well, it's a bit of an unusual journey, that's for sure. And certainly um, when I went to university, I never thought I'd be end up doing this particular project in this particular city, but I've been very lucky throughout my entire career to have opportunities put in front of me and, and perhaps I'm too stupid to say no you know, to some of those. I, I studied forestry and ecology at the University of Edinburgh, largely at the instigation of my parents who were some of the, should we say, earlier alternative dropouts in the UK. And around about that time we were living at Findhorn, which is a big alternative community in the northeast of Scotland, um, in amongst the sand dunes and growing giant vegetables and various other things. So I was determined that I was going to save the planet one day. And I had a brutal shock in that first university lecturer where, where they told us we were there to record everything and monitor everything and document everything before it finally disappeared. Mm. And that if we really wanted to save the planet, we should go and do political science and become an MP, not an environmental activist. So yeah, that was okay. pretty shocking. <laughs> Thank you very much, Professor. But I went... University in Edinburgh, which is also famous for a very large international arts festival, the Edinburgh Festival and the Edinburgh Fringe. And I got pretty involved in student drama right from the get-go at university and in rapid time found less and less interest in forestry and ecology, although I did complete my degree, and started working on the Edinburgh Fringe in theatre and contemporary dance, initially at one of the big fringe venues and then after a little bit of theatre touring around the world, I ended up being one of the technical team for the whole of the Edinburgh International Festival. Yeah, you mentioned that you had some technical and production background too. Yeah, so most of my background at that is self-taught in lighting, set building, audio for, for theatre and live music events. Mm. And that sort of has continued sort of throughout my entire 30-odd years is that sort of technical production background yeah. and I ended up 
through through working in arts and culture, working with architects designing some theatre spaces, mm. and both in Scotland and then more in connection with what we're doing here in Toronto. I moved from Scottish Opera in Glasgow, where I was the technical director there, to become the technical director of the Canadian Opera Company, based here in Toronto. And at that time, they were just on the cusp after a 50-year history of finally building an opera house for them and for the National Ballet of Canada. And I became part of the full-time staff of the Canadian Opera Company and very much part of the number of staff at the time whose focus was on getting that building designed and built. Yeah. Which we opened in 2006 with a crazy and ambitious ring cycle, Wagner's ring cycle, four different operas. And in that particular instance, four different directors of four different operas in a brand new opera house. Mm. And from there I went and after I left the opera company and, and worked on some other design projects with, with other consultants, uh, including concert halls in St. Petersburg and Dallas, and even here in Toronto, the Kerner Hall, which is another really excellent space for music. And then I migrated back into the world of special events <laughs> and worked for the city of Toronto, producing large-scale, very public events on the squares and streets of Toronto, one of which comes back around again in a week or two. It's a programme called Nuit Blanche, where it puts contemporary art out onto the streets and the public spaces just for one night. Mm. There's a network of Nuit Blanches around, around the world. Mm. I used to work on that. Yeah. We got a tour earlier this morning here at the Bentway, and one of your partnerships right now, this upcoming weekend, is with Vans. And so we have, what we're seeing outside right now is basically truckloads of stuff being unloaded and set up. Um, one end is a big stage, and we've been told that there's skate, skateboard ramps and everything kind of moving in the next couple of days too. So it's interesting to me how that kind of production value is also a part of the Bentway now, even though you might not see on the surface that the Bentway is a production or at least space for different types of productions and experiences. So for listeners who are unfamiliar with the Bentway and even kind of this greater idea of the Highline Network in general, tell us a little bit more, tell the group about how the Bentway fits into that Highline Network. For those of you who've been to Toronto, you will have almost certainly driven across the top of the Gardner Expressway. At various times, there's six to eight lanes of traffic from west to east of the city. If you arrive at Lester Pearson Airport, you're almost certainly coming in into downtown Toronto on the Gardner Expressway. It was a road that sort of cut through the city, named after the commissioner at that time, Fred Gardner, built in the late 50s and 60s, opened pretty much six, first stretch of it opened. And it, if you go to other cities, yes, there are elevated roadways. So you can imagine this huge concrete and steel winding structure through the, through the downtown of Toronto, about 18 kilometres east to west, and at different heights. So where we're working specifically at the moment on the Bentway, we have the joy of being basically the highest part of the Gardner Expressway. And by that, it means it's created a sort of 45-foot, 50-foot high vaulted roof mm. for the work and programming and events that we're, we're doing underneath. It's like a big roof yeah. for this new and, public space. And it's hard to describe, really. I think 
you know, we've, we've seen it in photos, but until you actually come here and, and stand underneath it, you don't understand the magnitude truly of the 50 foot vaulted ceilings above you, which is the expressway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, we talked a little <laughs> there about my theater background and I've worked a lot in opera houses. And if you look into the stage of an opera house, it's typically 45, 50 feet wide. Mm. And that's your opening, which you see what is happening in front of you. You come to the Bentway in our first kilometre. There are 52 of those proscenium arches. You know, mm. so it's, it's an enormous space. Mm. It's also a joyous space, I think, and one that is much lighter and airier than anyone could possibly imagine. You know, yeah. They've been dialed into this perception that underneath a major roadway is an unloved or unnecessary space. Yeah. But in fact, not just the Bentway, but a number of projects in North America and, and around the world are realizing how to take advantage of that space. And if you like, give a, not, a, not necessarily a new use, but a different use or an additional use for that road structure or that rail structure, or in some cases, it's, it's rivers and waterways. You know. And that's where the Highline Network comes in. And that's where the Highline Network, all your, all your listeners, I'm sure, have, have, have heard of the fabulous and wonderful project in New York called the Highline on an elevated stretch of, of rail corridor uh, right in the heart of Manhattan. And the team there, led by Robert Hammond and Emma Bloomfield and many, many others, realized that there were, they had learned a great deal. And they'd made mistakes on the way, as well as huge successes. And with the support of a couple of other foundations, have enabled 19 of us now to start getting to know each other mm-hmm. and sharing best, best practices mm-hmm. on a wide range of projects. We've got similarities, but also same total differences. Yeah. I love the theme of, and I made a note here about it, but changing urban infrastructure and really our relationship with that infrastructure. So how can we add a second, third, fourth purpose to what that original infrastructure was? Obviously the Bentley is a great example of that, but you know we're talking about 18 other examples across North America that have also new purposes for, for previous infrastructures. Yeah. You know, and as I mentioned, they're, they're quite diverse. In Chicago and Atlanta, they're sort of on rail corridors or transit corridors. You go to Los Angeles and, and there the LA Rivers Project team are working on um, all 66 miles of concretized mm-hmm. river and catch basins that run through the multiple cities that make up the huge metropolis that we, we know as, as Los Angeles. Yeah. It's a hugely ambitious, yeah. epic project that they're, they're undertaking. So switching gears to the Bentway specifically, before the show, we, we spoke on the notion of the Bentway as an urban-based conservancy. Now, thinking through the lens of how a space like this is run, how does that shift in comparison to uh, the, kind of the city leading the charge with maintenance, upkeep, programming of a space like the Bentway versus running it through more of a conservancy-focused yeah. lens? For listeners to this program, most of the conservancies, not all, but most conservancies that exist are very much connected to nature and the environment and about protection of, of landscape or particular habitat. And we think, we're pretty confident, that we are the first urban-based 
conservancy in Canada. There are others in cities and large towns elsewhere. It's a very new model for a municipality like the city of Toronto to get their heads around. So both sides, the, the Bentway Conservancy and the city of Toronto, are trying to figure this out whilst at the same time actually doing it. You know, so there's bound to be a few opportunities out there, a few teething pains as we try and resolve who maintains which bit of the structure and how we have to and need to work closely together with local residents associations, the business improvement area. And at this particular location where we're talking today, we're immediately adjacent to and on a parcel of land that was designated federally by the Government of Canada as part of historic Fort York. This is a very important site for the, if you like, the, the founding of Upper Canada and what is Canada now. The, the fort was built to protect the town of York, hence its name, Fort York, mm. back in the 1700s. And so there's a huge history, historical connection that the city and its older residents and newer residents and this dynamic, changing community around us that we have to respect and work carefully with. And what does that look like as far as, you know, as we sit here, I'm seeing different crews outside working, you know, there's landscaping, there's, there's built structures that need to be maintained. What does that challenge or opportunity, as you, as you call it, what does that look like from an ongoing maintenance perspective as the seasons come and go? You know, what's the difference between, or maybe what is the bonus of it being approached through conservancy? The Conservancy doesn't directly work for the city, although we're on city-owned land, and they've been wonderful at, at creating a, a model called a land-use agreement. It's not a tenancy or rental as such. It's an agreement between us, us and the city that we will program, operate, and maintain this particular location and as it grows further east and west. And without any disrespect to, to the city, we can be more nimble, more, more adaptive. Mm. We like to think we've got our ears and eyes very close to the ground and close to the local community. We have to do more in that regard, absolutely, for sure. And that we can listen to and engage with the people who live and work in this area, mm -hmm. as well as the visitors to this area and do something that really is for the public benefit of us all. Yeah. Even within the city infrastructure, you know, imagine a parcel of land underneath a roadway. A city has to deal with its own transportation department. It has to deal with its own parks and recreation department. And in a location like this, next to historic Fort York, the museums and heritage now, they're all different divisions, different departments, different priorities. And part of our role as the Conservancy is to bring all those different mm. policies and different thinking into one cohesive, contextually correct interpretation. Yeah. It's a challenge. And it seems but, like, though, you, what you've told me is you're able to communicate better with the people that are actually coming to the space, literally walking outside and having conversations with them which informs how to make this a better space, how to have better programming, 
and, and I guess for lack of a better phrase, have a pulse on the community that is within walking distance of the Bentway. Yeah, we've been, we looked around, we were on the rooftop of this particular building where we're recording this today and we looked around that 360 degrees to realise that there's approaching 80,000 people mm. living mm. in a 10-minute walk of, of where we are today. Mm. And so bigger than many other cities in Canada and, and large towns in America and Europe. That's a considerable population. And there's so much more construction coming too. I mean, we, we stood outside at that 360 view and there's, you know, two, three, four very visible condominiums being built that are coming up very shortly. There's more in the works. And I think that kind of speaks to, and is a nice segue into the younger generations of Toronto now that are, instead of moving out to the suburbs or moving out to a more rural area, they're staying in Toronto. They want the livelihood and the, the diversity of the city. And when we kind of look at that as a collective whole, that's sort of a fact in many of the cities of the, at least North America, I was gonna say of America, of Canada. What insight does that bring to you as CEO of the Bentway, seeing all of that construction and knowing that wow, we have a lot of youth, a lot of vibrancy that's sticking around and they're choosing to stay right around where we're, where we're building. It's a good question. And I think probably 10, 15 years ago when this condo development boom really hit Toronto, they were mostly thinking these condo apartments were short-term rentals or perhaps uh, older persons downsizing and moving into smaller apartments. And we're designing the shared spaces in those condos very much for that type of demographic perhaps for the younger people, keep fit rooms and, uh, and a giant TV games room party space. <laughs> yeah. In reality, particularly in the last four or five years, everyone has got to notice and realise that there are thousands of children and young people under the age of 10 and, and now even older, where their parents have chosen not to move out of those condo apartments and still be part of the vibrancy and dynamic of downtown core of the city and our two donors the wonderful judy and will matthews who are behind this project right from the get-go imagine the bentway as being a new kind of backyard if you're in a large condominium block with 250 400 units there aren't many spaces in between them or inside them where you can come out and play and socialize and engage with the neighborhood and Judy and Will were determined that the Bentway would become this new neighbourhood, this new backyard. And I've tasked myself and, uh, and my wonderful sort of programming and communications team with working quite proactively in, in commissioning visual art projects, working with dance companies, music producers, to do a series of events and activations that bring this backyard, if you like, to life. It's a, about a kilometre along at the moment. We opened ice skating last winter to massive acclaim and surprise. This summer we opened a public amphitheatre space and have started doing music concerts and public talks and symposiums in there. We see mums and dads bringing their yoga mats out and doing yoga classes. We see young kids weaving in and out of, uh, we have a water feature with different pulsing jets of water. And these five and six-year-olds and even younger just 
joyously splashing through. And thousands and thousands of dogs. There is an, even an Instagram feed. Of we saw a few dogs out there. Dogs at the Bentway. Yeah. For those of you who follow dogs and urban spaces, it's not created by us, but you see, that's how it just sort of... Yeah, it happens, right? That our intent for the public yard is, we think, we hope, being, being sort of um, caught upon or captured or, or acting as a catalyst for people to come and use this space in ways that they want to use this space. One thing that I'm really curious about is the data around why green space matters. Because I think it would be really easy for someone or a group of people to assume there's no parks nearby. Oh well, that doesn't that doesn't matter. And I think, you know, spaces like the Bentway are very much coming at it from the complete opposite direction. They're saying green space does matter. It's a quality of life issue. It's making sure that our kids grow up playing around other kids, um, literally feeling the grass, you know, between their toes. And one of the things that we touched on off the podcast, before the podcast, was how can this data be collected responsibly, but to also help inform decision-making moving forward, policy-making moving forward. Where does the Bentway stand on that now, and, and what, what methods might be coming down the pipe for Yeah, it's a very, to- a very topical conversation here in Toronto, twofold. Um, the city of Toronto is going up pretty massive study consultation exercise, mapping out and assessing the parks and public spaces. There's a mixture of, obviously, parks operated by the city, and then other developers and have built and created what here in Toronto we euphemistically call POPs, but basically privately owned public spaces, which cross that borderline between a office atrium and a, and a real garden for the community, you know. So how do you navigate those? At the same time as that study's going on, Sidewalk Labs partnered up with Waterfront Toronto and are looking at another park to the east of us, the east end of the Gardner Expressway and Don Valley. There's a site with a grain silo and former industrial lands that, that Waterfront and Sidewalk are currently going, undergoing a massive consultation and public study and as a sort of future city, smart city. And so there's a lot of conversation about what is the appropriate data and how do you manage that and how do you use that appropriately to en- enhance the well-being and wealth of community as a whole, not necessarily the wealth of the commercial developer mm. or partner behind it. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting conversation. Meanwhile, back at the Bentway, because we're a bit low-tech, you know, <laughs> uh, not as, not as high, high data captures, so we have to do better. We've been doing a lot of on-site, good old-fashioned, handwritten surveying, lots of really good feedback and anecdotal feedback, if you like, which is hard to trap and hard to keep lots of metrics, but going and having the conversations, introducing yourself to the people who are using this space and seeing them repeatedly come back to the space or seeing them visit it for the first time. It doesn't really matter, but go and say hello and, and work out why they're here mm-hmm. and work out how we can make it a place that they come back to. Do you think that more data will mean more ability to make specific decisions at the right times? Do you think that it 
puts the power in the Bentway's hands to make the right choices for the community that's coming to enjoy the space? I would, I would hope so. You know, we have to be very responsible at it. And we shouldn't take data or feedback just purely for the process of doing it. We actually have to work with the, the respondents, the people who are giving us this information and listen to them very carefully. Mm-hmm and work with them. I've been on a number of architectural projects where we sort of arrived from nowhere and we built a theatre or a concert hall and in the expectation the community at large will come. And that's a little bit arrogant, um, personally. That's me speaking very, very personally. And what we're trying to do, we're trying to do that differently with the Bentwick. We're doing it crazily fast, by the way, crazily fast. It's like 18 months in, you know, we're... We're still at toddler level in terms of many big civic building projects. But we want to listen and we want to, we will adapt as we go along to the changing circumstances of what is underneath this roadway, Mm. for sure. It's different in different parts of the city. It's also, we have to be responsible and reflective of that dynamic in the population. What do you think the responsibility is of the neighborhood, of of the local population to also have a hand in making this space what they want it to be. Because it's not a one-way street, you know, you can't, you can't be out there every single day handing out surveys or collecting data and then expecting yeah. people to be there. What would you say their responsibility is? Because it's a give and take. Another good question. We're working, of course, quite closely with the three local residents associations and we have been attending meetings of condo boards and other associations in the area. And and it's a long journey. It's a difficult journey, you know. I have learned that you can't just expect people to know about the Bentway or come to the Bentway of their own volition and that they need to be welcomed somehow. And how that welcome is messaged could be different in different circumstances to different people, different ages, for different types of activity. I mean, we will have to retune that welcome. One of the, one of the sort of early steps that we tried to address that this summer was try an experiment, which proved to be very worthwhile and, and wonderful. Instead of having a, maybe a typical maintenance, garden maintenance team, we hired a group of people from the area and further afield, and we called them urban rangers. <laughs> and their tasks of the day are, yes, opening up the buildings and making sure the washrooms are clean and tidy and doing weeding and litter picking and all those things, but also about being information ambassadors, going out and meeting the public, telling them what's going on, telling them, engaging with them what our future plans are, both in terms of construction and events, and also hearing back from them what the community wants in terms of our future and our development. Mm. It's been a fascinating time to have those five or six individuals working for us this summer. What do you see coming next for the band? I mean, you said it yourself, 18 months in, you're in your infancy, but I can tell that all the listeners here, you know, being at the space, a lot has been done in 18 months. What does the next 18 months look like? What does the next five years look like? You know, what are your hopes and dreams here with the, with the project? We've tried this past winter and summer a number of different events as that we've mentioned, this active programming of the space mm-hmm. in, in collaboration with 
other partners across the city, other partners across the United States and Canada. And we've also started a community grant program to try and enable artists and activists and people with environmental issues on their mind to come and engage with us and, and work out what we're, we're doing. I really want to grow those programs, nurture those programs, support those programs. And in parallel, start expanding east, east and west. My, my team often roll their eyes a little bit when I keep reminding ourselves that there's 18 kilometers of the Gardner and we're working on this current one kilometer right at the moment. There's another nearly a kilometer to go to the east of us that we're really focused on at the moment that would make this 1.75 kilometer stretch that was the first phase of the Gardner really come to life. Mm. We're very close in construction terms now, having the capital to build a 300 meter long wooden bridge hanging from the Gardner Expressway. So in fact, we're building a bridge from a bridge yeah. to enable our people using our trail, our walking site to get over the next major ground level roadway without having to use cross the street directly. And it, this extraordinary linear bridge hanging below the gardener will also act as a sort of giant viewing platform, gets you above the ramparts of Fort York in terms of the island, and you can see change and growth of the city and we'll be able to see into Fort York mm. you know, at all hours of the day. I, I want to touch on and, and maybe circle back slightly to the staff here and the team here. We have arts backgrounds, we have performance backgrounds, we have just a, a rich, lush, diverse set of people that you've been able to work with. And that sounds like that'll extend into the next phase of the Bentway. What are some of the, the unique things that you've been able to do that you hope to do with the staff that has such a diverse background? Well, yeah, it's good. I'm glad that you mentioned it. Yeah, we come from film, opera, theater, dance. Elana Altman, who's our amazing director of programming, I sort of poached her from the architectural world. She was working with KPMB architects here in Toronto. And earlier in her career, had worked with Elizabeth at Dilla Scofido, who are the architects of the Highline. So Elana brings this tremendous consideration and care, both from an architectural perspective, but also to the sort of visual arts and, and active programming of the area. It's delightful, wonderful to work with her and, and her colleagues in that, in that regard. The challenge also for us is we are like a startup, like we're a sort of like many of the high-tech companies, you know, we don't know, we're sort of solving problems on the way and having to be reactive rather than proactive. So we need to change, change a lot of our thinking in, in that and start thinking about three to five years ahead, 10 years ahead, and aligning ourselves as an organization to make that happen. We also want to use our, our skill set and our network here that we've, we've developed through wonderful people like wonderful Ken Greenberg, urban planner, master planner. Delight to be alongside Ken on this journey. The amazing public work, the landscape architects, who Mark and Adam and Lauren, who've been brilliant at designing and steering us and through the construction phases. And, and we hope to work with them as we go east and west. We want to sort of also influence there are other parts of the city adjacent to the Gardner Expressway that won't be a Bentway project particularly. 
but that there are potentially other parks and other public spaces that we would like to not run, not fundraise for, but influence. You know, use, use our learning as this team that's trying to figure these things out and help others make Bentway-like, if you like, pockets acro across the city yeah, that right. then ultimately connect us all. Mm. There's a really wonderful project happening on the east side of Toronto. It's called the Meadow Way. And that started to come into fruition and close focus really in the in, in also similar short order. And for listeners at home, as well as big roadway coming into Toronto, there is a massive hydro power line corridor coming into the city of Toronto on the east side, coming all the way from Gatineau, where the hydropower is generated and then subsequently transported by these massive overhead cables into the city. And the Meadow Way is a partnership of another private family, the Western family, and the Toronto Reclamation Authority, I think, something like that, and it's partly public body. It's to transform this 18 kilometres of under power lines into publicly accessible space, a pedestrian cyclist corridor, native planting, you know, different again to the Bentway, not actively programmed downtown core, but another amazing opportunity yeah. to work with and to learn from at the same time. Yeah. Speaking about the Bentway for the last 30 minutes or so, transitioning into now, a question I always like to ask, which is, who else should we be paying attention to? And what are the other projects that are inspiring? Obviously a few in the Toronto area, but what else comes to mind? Doesn't have to be Toronto specific, doesn't have to be a person or a group, it could be both. What comes to mind? Well, I'm, I'm delighted to have squeezed in the meadow way because I, I walked along, along that with the Seattle Parks Conservancy a couple of months ago and, and their team and it was, it was a delight to see. Elsewhere, sort of more on the, I might say on the more academic or theoretical side, the University of Manchester in the UK is doing a whole series of work on designing resilient cities. It's sort of looking at what cities should be, could be for the next 20, 30 years. And public spaces such as the Bentway and Atlanta Beltline and the Chicago 606 and so on, we're all part of trying to make up these cities better places to live in, emotionally, health, mental health-wise, all sorts of things. You know, that's, that's really terrific what they're doing with the Designing Resilient Cities. Upcoming for us, more immediately at the Bentway, is I'm delighted once again to be having conversations and actually making work with Dan Roosgaard from the Netherlands, whose background also is in visual arts, but now has been working with urban infrastructure and construction companies and development companies. We here at the Bentway in the next couple of weeks of recreating the level of the lake, of Lake Ontario as it would have been, with Dan and his team using lasers and blue LEDs and smoke machines to sort of recreate where the water would have been when this town of York first started and the general public could come and imagine themselves, you know, standing, being under the lake water as a result of that work. But Dan is also using a lot of his ideas and technology to work with road makers, for example, where the cars driving over the road surface, their pressure squeezes an array of piezoelectric crystals and generates the electricity that at the same time then powers the lighting for the streetlights mm. or for the, in airports for the billboards. 
Instead of as you walk coming off the airplane into the baggage thing, you, know, you have that long walk, you could trap some of the energy of people's own weight and power the billboards Very as you walk yeah. along those corridors. Mm. And Dan is an amazing thinker in, in that. Julian. Thank you so much for joining me today. I want to uh, let you have the mic and tell the world where to find you before we sign off today. For those of you who use that big worldwide thing, we're at (laughs) www.bentway.ca. We're on Instagram and Facebook and all those usual social media things, but we really want to see you in person. So come to the Bentway. We're at... 250 Fort York Boulevard, that's between Strawn Avenue and Bathurst Street in downtown Toronto. Julian, thank you again. Thanks so much. Transforming Cities is brought to you by Authentic Form and Function, the digital design and development team that just might be a perfect fit for your next urban project. If you're a new listener, you can follow along at authenticff.com slash transforming cities, or you can subscribe through your favorite outlets, including SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Thanks for joining us.